Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. If you haven't cracked open the September issue of the Lutheran Witness, you should. It's because we already did searching the scriptures with Pastor Askins. A great article on. We have a couple articles actually. I think this month that we get to cover. Yes, we do. So so first up, we're going to take a look at Vacation Bible School. Our guest today, the Reverend Jason Broughton, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Tuscola, Illinois. Pastor Broughton, welcome to the Coffee Hour. It's great to be here. I'm actually drinking coffee. Oh, yes. Excellent. I think you're the only one right now. <laughs> yes, because I have water. full disclosure, we're recording in advance. So it's... Well, I drink coffee uh, that's all day. True. It's always coffee time. What kind of what coffee <laughs> are you having today, Pastor Broughton? It's uh, the French roast Starbucks. All right. Fancy. Yeah. Not, it's just Keurig, so it's not super fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I like to think of myself as not like a coffee snob, but I have visited a couple of different coffee places in the last month. And I have to say, I keep going back to the one place that I really like. And I'm becoming a bit of a coffee <gasps> snob because nobody else makes their coffee like this little coffee shop in Eureka, Missouri. So, oh boy. <laughs> we, but we're not here to talk about coffee all day. We're here to talk about Vacation Bible School. So where, how did Vacation Bible School begin? Because I, reading your article, you have obviously done some research on this because you had to dig into the history in order to really share what you did in your article this month. So what was the concept of the first Vacation Bible School? And then we'll get into when and where it happened. Yeah, so... I. There are a lot of people who had done quite a bit of research before me, but they focused on other things. And my focus was essentially going back to seeing why it started, kind of asking that question, what was the point? And what continually came forward was an image of a pastor or a congregation looking out around their community, whether it was in the city or in the country. And the way that VBS happens in the city and the country was different in its beginnings. But they were looking out over their landscape and seeing children in the summertime playing or getting into trouble or being lazy or any of those types of activities or non-activities, as it were, looking at that landscape and saying, we have the facilities and we have the ability to serve these particular people with what they can't get anywhere else. And so the beginnings of Vacation Bible School looked at particular people in particular places to pass on to those particular people in those places particular truths that only the people who were teaching could hand on. So the churches would take a look at perhaps in the city where maybe both mom and dad are working or the children are running around and not involved in anything in particular at the time. And they say, you know, we can bring them in and we can give them school during the summertime that is not like the normal school they're going to, but will kind of look like it. And so the early vacation Bible schools in the city were Monday through Friday, 
for six to eight weeks the entire summer, all day long, like a regular school day's length. So what is that, six hours? And they would focus on, obviously, the events in Bible history and, you know, bringing them the fullness of the biblical narratives that find their culmination in the passion, the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. But they also added on to this, you know, memory work that was associated with church history. They brought in instruction for musical arts, both singing and instruments. They would instruct in craftsmanship. So not just like popsicles, sticks, and cutouts, <laughs> but like needlework and woodworking and building things and things that would last. And then also, you know, their normal kind of catechetical doctrinal studies and character development and things like that. So this is beginning the late 18th century, early 19th century, where these particular people kind of look out at their landscape and say, we have something to offer these particular people. Let's try to offer that. And so that's how it started. And then it began to sweep the nation from the East Coast or from the cities into the interior of the country. In, in that way, people started hearing about, you know, New York's Vacation Bible School or Boston's or even Chicago doing something similar. And then the country modifying that for their particular people at their particular place. So how did it move out from the cities into the more Midwest regions? What made it, what were the needs that, that these other communities had in, in more rural areas in the Midwest? And how did it end up looking then in, in those situations? Yeah. Well, school, I think, in the country looked a lot different than school, like normal school in the city. The length of day for kind of normal school maybe you'd call it government school, but it wasn't quite government school at the time. But if you read like a series of books by Ralph Moody called Little Britches, or if you read the Little House series, you, they're all in the country, right? Or, you know, on the frontier and school looks different. It, it only meets certain times of the day and not always are all the boys there because they're in the field helping. So, so school in general looked different. And, and so because of that, because of the needs of the community or the family to run the family farm and to help work in the, their local businesses, you know, the children would all be a part of it. It was a household income. The whole household worked for this. The schooling just didn't have the same Monday through Friday, eight to three schedule. It would go for a number of weeks and then there would be needs back on the farm or needs back in the storefront. And so it would take breaks and then they'd be back at it later when all that work on the farm or in the storefront was finished. And so at least within the Missouri Synod, you can see how when they would start church schools, they would meet, you know, after harvest 
in the fall up until basically Palm Sunday. And this is where oftentimes churches still today will have confirmation on Palm Sunday because it was so closely tied to when the children were needed back at home to be working in the field for planting. So just the rhythm of the day or the rhythm of the year look different in the country because of those particular needs. And so when Vacation Bible School catches on from the big cities on the East Coast and moving more towards the interior, the Midwest, or even the West, those people who are going to do Vacation Bible School tailor it to the needs of the people that they're serving. So, you know, they would maybe only go a half day, then all day, because in the summertime, at least on farms, children are doing household chores. They are helping with livestock. They are helping with hay and all of the other duties that are necessary just to survive. And the same thing they with those in the storefronts. There were things that were needed and the children would help out. So... So it was only half day, and it typically only ran for about two weeks. You know, if we go back to, so I've look, if I look at minutes from my congregation, you know, one of the longest serving pastors here at my place was thirty six years, and there are accounts from my members, you know, that he would drive around and pick up everyone to bring them to vacation Bible school, which was like two or three weeks long and a half day. And then he'd take them all back. So it was really dependent. It was really focused, I should say, on those particular people at that particular place to give them something particular. Would you say the context of your congregation was more of an agrarian community? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we live in town now. The congregation is set up in town, but it is a rural, mainly farming and associated with farming community. And so most of the people who were at the beginnings of this congregation did not live in town, even though the congregation was set up in town. And that's not unlike many other congregations here in the Midwest. It was I mean, pretty similar situation and context. Yeah. So how then did VBS look different as it, as the congregations in the Midwestern uh, context adopted VBS? How might it have looked different than the rest of the school year? As we, we talked about, the, there are certainly differences between the school year for the, um, between those, the, the city and the more rural or agrarian communities. Yeah. What would it look like? What would be the differences? Well, the primary difference was just the length of mm-hmm. the actual school vacation Bible school day and the length of how long they met in succession. So how many weeks would they meet? But because they had less time then, you would necessarily begin to focus on what you thought was most important or what, how did you want to spend that time? And w- what they ended up kind of focusing on were catechism, memory work, Bible history, so the biblical narrative from the Old and New Testaments, some form of music, and then some kind of craftsmanship, building something, whether it was out of wood or glass or something like that. So it 
it tended to only focus on the spiritual aspects and not go into a whole lot of, I should say, the Bible aspects, not go on to further church history or, you know, use the founding fathers as, you know, some of them had done in the on the East Coast, the founding fathers of our nation, to, to, to have the students learn about character from those individuals. So, so it just became more focused on a theological import, handing on the truths of that denomination through the three main things, the three main books that kind of help us confess those things. You know, what's drawn from the Bible is confessed in the catechism and expressed in our hymnal. And so they began to really kind of focus on those things and then use people who were familiar with the technical arts, and by that I mean working with wood or metal or some other kind of medium there, to hand on how to do things. And when things went wrong, and they invariably do when you are working with a medium like wood or metal or glass, how to problem solve that, how to fix it. There's a whole, there's an entire means of teaching children about character and dealing with problems and isolating those problems when you're learning how to work with your hands. And it's of great benefit to both the children and as you move forward into adulthood. We're talking about taking a look at the short history of Vacation Bible School with Pastor Jason Broughton and his article, Particular Needs of a Particular Place, Rethinking Vacation Bible School in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're taking a look at the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, talking with Reverend Jason Broughton. He's pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Tuscola, Illinois, and author of Particular Needs of a Particular Place, Rethinking Vacation Bible School in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness. So we've taken a a short look at the history of Vacation Bible School making its way from the cities to the Midwest. Now let's talk about the inroads into the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. What do we know about Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregations adopting VBS? Do we know when that began, where that began? That's a really good question. <laughs> it's really difficult to pinpoint the exact point, but they are adopting these things right alongside of everyone else. So I'm not quite sure that. I mean, sometimes you might hear, you know, that's not Lutheran or something like that. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's the case. They certainly, when they took it on, saw it as a Lutheran task to do it in a Lutheran way. But I'm not sure that they ever saw taking the time to to teach during the summer as somehow, you know, 
not being Lutheran. They, so I, I would say right along the same time as VBS is beginning in the East Coast and in the cities, as it moves out to the country and it gets to that particular area, Lutheran pastors are taking a look at their own landscape and asking themselves a question, how might I serve these particular people in this particular place with what I've been particularly situated to, to teach? So, so I think it was probably right alongside. I don't think there was much delay in that fact, but when they did it, they did it the way Lutherans do it. They focused on our hymns, they focused on our catechism, and they focused on really implanting the word into their minds and their hearts by giving them a breadth of the biblical narrative from the Old and New Testament. So then how has this older style of VBS, how has that changed and evolved over the last 50 years in our church education history? Yeah. So I'm trying to find a a a nice way of saying this. I, I think the best way to say it is w w what happens is we move into a time of looking at things and as at people as professionals. And so instead of thinking like the general pastor thinking, I can put together a VBS, there are people who are professionals at putting together VBS curricula. And we let them do that for us, and it kind of streamlines the process. And all we need to do is then take the curricula out of the box and use it. And so I refer to it as kind of like a commercialization. And that kind of has you know a really negative connotation. And I don't really mean it to be entirely negative. There are publishing houses that saw the need that congregations desired to do this. They sought to fill that need. But there's always something kind of lost when something becomes mass produced. And when it's produced about thinking of children in the abstract, instead of thinking of particular children that you're actually going to talk to. And so whenever I, whenever I preach a sermon or I'm teaching something from the Bible, I'm asking myself, who is my audience? Who is listening to this? How do I need to say this so that they understand it and they take away from it what needs to be taken away from it? So I think what happened when you kind of had that professionalism or the commercialization of VBS begin to take shape, what was lost is the particular people who this was going to be spoken to, who was going to be taught, and what, and asking the question, what do they need to know? I think this is also the same time when VBS began to be viewed as, as a means of evangelizing, that is a means of reaching those who don't know Christ, instead of as a means to teach the people who are already in our pews. And if others want to come along for the ride, then they can come along for the ride. And we'll be happy to tell them everything that there is to tell about Jesus that finds its way into the Old and New Testament as we're doing that for our own. And so I think confluence of things began to take shape, which is it was easier to get an out-of-the-box curriculum. There is a kind of a professional attitude, like we're going to let the professionals handle it. And then 
the idea of reaching out. So we're going to, we're going to need some kind of curriculum that is focused on the unbeliever as opposed to the already baptized or the child who is already a Christian and coming and attending church and perhaps even confessing the apostles or Nicene Creed to thinking about the person outside of our walls. And I think that kind of situation became a vortex to make VBS something that it was not intended to be. And that can kind of, it can be very powerful sometimes, but it can also be destructive, those kinds of vortexes. In what ways might a more locally developed program be beneficial to the congregation, to the children, to their families? Yeah. The benefit is at least twofold. One is that it takes into consideration the actual people who will be attending and not tailoring what you're going to do for someone who you think might attend. And so you are actually developing and teaching, catechizing, discipling, however you want to, whatever term you want to use, you are teaching those particular people with, and you're tailoring your curriculum with those people in mind, right? You are building it from the ground up with those people in mind, instead of trying to take something that is not built for them and try to re-engineer it, so to speak. So the first thing is that it keeps the local person in mind from the ground up. Secondly, it is good for those who those adults who are involved in it, because they see that it's tailored to those, to their people, right? It's tailored to their children. It's tailored for building them up into the knowledge of the Lord and and in faith in Him. So, so it's good for those people because it's encouraging that we are we're not just doing this for someone who might come. We're actually doing it for those people who are already there. And and they become encouraged and built up by the very same messages because oftentimes they're their parents and they're learning then how to they're learning how to teach the their own children the great truths from the scriptures. They're learning how to teach their own children how to sing the great hymns of our faith. They're learning to draw our catechism's doctrine out of the scriptures that we're using. They learn how to teach their children to build things with wood and to make stained glass windows or things like that. So their focus is not on an unknown their focus is on the known, the, actually the neighbor sitting right next to them, the neighbor whom God has given to them to be next to them in the pew, perhaps sitting at their dining room table or on their living room sofa. And it, it reorients who we're about and what we're about. Not that we're unconcerned about the unbeliever, but that we are concerned about raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we're going to do that, and we will open these things up to our community around us for others to benefit also. So I think that twofold aspect that both the children and the parent end up benefiting, and I would add a third, it's good for the pastor. It's good for the pastor mm-hmm. because it forces him 
to think of uh, the children in his congregation as full-fledged members already, right? It forces him to say, I need to teach them just as our call documents and as our ordination vows tell us to do, to teach both the young and the old alike and look at those youngest ones as disciples of Jesus that we need to continually teach everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so it makes us focus on what those kids need to hear and learn so that as they go out into the world, they're prepared to stand firm against the attacks of the devil, to resist. And the scripture tells us in James that when you resist the devil, he flees. And so we're teaching him to, we're teaching those children how to be Christians uh, by tailoring what we're teaching to them. So with just another minute or two left, what is the, how does a congregation go about doing this? If they're like, yes, I want to do this for our children, the children that we have in our congregation, what are some of the things that a congregation can think through to go about building their own program for their own children? I'm tempted to say, well, you can call me and I'll sell it to you for $9.99, <laughs> but that kind of goes against the entire article. The uh, The best thing to do is to sit down and think. So how we did it here is I just said, what do you think if I just teach all the kids? And then we'll do a rotation of the children coming to be taught and a rotation of the people coming to crafts and a rotation of people going to music. And and I'll build the program and I'll teach and I'll work with you guys and we'll find people who can build things with wood. There's always someone in a congregation who can do that. There are people who are good at needleworks, either sewing, quilting, or or things like that. There are people who are able to work on engines. I mean, I haven't gone down the road of, you know, bringing a small engine in and having a guy teach the boys and the girls how to repair things or to change oil or, but that was, that's certainly possible, right? There are always people in the congregation who are good at things that would, I'm sure if asked, be happy to talk about how to do these things so that they these children could share in the joy that they have in accomplishing or building something that they have built in the past. There are certainly people who are musical within your congregation, able to play piano or organ, able to sing, who are perhaps with a little nudging and a little help, able to teach the children how to sing some of these great hymns that we have so that they learn to love the both the music as well as the Lutheran theology that is prevalent within our great hymnal. So it's just taking a look at your own place. What are the needs of that congregation? What do those kids need to be taught? Taking a look at, well, who do we have in the congregation that is able to do this? And then the pastor taking the first step to call those people together, maybe talking to your board of education, if that's what you have, or whatever your congregation calls it, and say, hey, why don't we give it a shot? Uh, what do we have to lose by giving it a shot? And, and maybe it's not perfect for everyone, but it has worked here very well. The kids, yeah, even my high school kids, they love, they look forward to VBS every year. And I don't know if it's because they want to spend time with their dad, uh, I think they like the crafts. They like learning to sing. You know, as they get older, the musicians in our congregation are teaching them to sing in parts. And it's just a great benefit because you're working with that kind of same 
group of people, and other people are always coming in for the ride. And that's a great joy. Pastor Jason Broughton and his article, Particular Needs of a Particular Place, Rethinking Vacation Bible School in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pastor Broughton, thank you so much for being our guest on The Coffee Hour. My pleasure. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.